Yeah, hey, Trace, thanks for having me on. You're absolutely correct, but the threat came from far-left progressive activists pushing a neo-Marxist agenda across our entire city. And unfortunately, the unreasonable activist class now has control of the elected officials in the fringe group of the Seattle City Council that are pushing their progressive ideology for defunding the police. Welcome back to Activist Class. Um, as always, it's been a minute since we've talked to you because we've been doing the work in the streets um, and in other places. I almost said in the sheets. I'm sorry. Ew. You wish. Really. Me uh, sleeping, trying to go to sleep because we everyone needs sleep. It's a vital function. Um, so we're back. We're here to break down what has gone on since the since CHOP, basically. Um, we've made a lot of headway on our demands, so we have some of our incredible friends slash best friends from Decriminalize Seattle, um, Jackie Vaughn and Angelica, who will intro themselves. But as always, I'm here with our faithful activist class crew. I am Arisa, I'm here with Chrissy. Hey, what's up? I'm here with Day. Yo. Myra. Hello. <laughs> Speck is here with us in ghost form, and then we have our lovely, esteemed, brilliant, wonderful guests who have been holding it the fuck down, um, Angelica and Jackie. Y'all want to control yourselves? Yeah, thank you so much for having us on today. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Jackie Vaughn, and I'm a member of Decriminalize Seattle. I'm really happy to be here and um, excited to share with you all um, the work that we've been doing. Jackie, you're coming back, right? This is a revisit round two. You had baby with you last time. Yep, and now baby is asleep right now, so. Mm -hmm. Thank God for Zoom calls. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm happy to be back. Welcome back. Hey, y'all. I'm Angelica Chacero. I'm also with Decriminalize Seattle. My first time here, but not my first time hanging out with these lovely people. So I think on the last activist class, which was so long ago, we went over the Seattle protests and um, what led up to the creation and formation and then of the eventual dismantling of CHOP. Uh, but today we're really going to talk about what's been happening in City Hall and how the four-point plan has come to be um, after June 3rd. Was it May 3rd when we had our first march? Was it June? It was June 3rd. I was checking it yesterday. Yeah. So You're talking about first march like led by like decrim and led by decrim equity yeah now, right okay so that was two months ago um when on the steps of city hall decriminalized seattle watched mayor durkin cersei lannister karen walk out of the building surrounded by cops and then jackie actually was on the mic and you turned to nikita and you go hey sis is it okay if durkin speaks <laughs> And um, Nikita delivered the three demands and asked her if she would honor them. And she obfuscated and said basically no. And she's been a bitch ever since. So. <laughs> spicy. So we're going to go over basically what has been happening on the inside of City Hall and where we are at now. Um, which is today we had another march and the um council just voted on amendments to the 2020 rebounds budget so um yeah Jackie, oh and just yeah. to clarify real quick too i think it's helpful for the listeners to know like we know that a lot of this stuff that we do behind the scenes can like feel a little wonky and you know i think the biggest thing like the my favorite feedback i think we get when we I think on our better episodes, I would say, 
um, is when uh, people feel like we take all of that like weird heady stuff and make it accessible. And I know that it's really easy to kind of shout out these demands like defund police by 50%, et cetera, but really digging into hopefully in this episode um, with Jackie and Angelica, uh, what that actually means and what that process looks like and where the money's coming from. I think today it was good for people to know that part of the defund efforts that's been successful, um, at least today is uh, removing the line items of like police in schools and removing the line item of like police doing homeless encampment removals. And so our goal with this episode um, is to take all what's happening, where we have to go, where the momentum needs to push and what we've accomplished so far and as and as it, it, uh, accessible we're trying to make it accessible too many a words i try to say at once just now you got there the demands were defund spd by 50 percent, reinvest in black community public health and safety and free all protesters drop all charges um but today is august 5th um what it was a big day in city council i was wondering if jackie or on or aretha wanted to jump in and kind of break down some of the biggest points yeah I'm, I'm happy to start um i guess i would also just start by rewinding just a little bit and saying like the reason we're even here is because of the years of like abolitionist groundwork that so many of us have been laying so the reason that these demands like made it to city council to begin with and that they voted unanimously uh, to do some initial cuts have to do with like the Nona Youth Jail fight, have to do with a fight to shut down the detention center in Tacoma, have to do with block the bunker. Like none of that, yeah. happens. none of this happens. Today's it doesn't happen without that because, you know, we'll go into details about what those actual cuts and votes were. But for me, the big thing that was different today was that uh, for the first time that I know of, city council actually voted to shrink SPD's budget when every other vote for I don't know how many decades has been about expanding it. Like there hasn't been a, another moment of contraction uh, that I can think of, you know, like we have been fighting tooth and nail just to like stop the expansion. Uh, but the idea of shrinking SPD hasn't even been on the table and it wouldn't have been but for the, these fights. What that actually looks like in practice is a little bit tricky as we're finding out. And I think one big thing that was new to me to just kind of figure out, and obviously this is just kind of basic uh, separation of power stuff in terms of government, is that the city council can decide how big the budget should be, and can decide how to cut the budget, but the, the executive branch, which is basically the mayor and all her agencies, including SPD, decides what to actually do with that money that they're given. And so city council can say, we want you to cut all these different parts of SPD, uh, but they have more limited powers in making the chief actually follow through with those precise cuts. Nevertheless, they've put on like a, a, put together a package of cuts in many ways guided by community and not just this struggle, but the struggles that came before, like the, the long time work against the navigation team to say, actually, today we're voting to dismantle the navigation team completely. There was, I think, a, a full um, consensus on cutting the cops out of the navigation team. So all nine council members cut to, voted to cut the navigation team cops. And then not all of them, but five out of nine of them voted to cut the entire navigation team, including all the you know, kind of fake social workers who work hand in hand with cops uh, to soften the blow of being uh, displaced and having your stuff burned or destroyed. Um, and so we, we saw a bunch of th different things like that. We saw a vote to eliminate the school resource officers. We saw a vote to eliminate the mounted unit, basically the cops on horses. Uh, we saw a vote to eliminate the recruitment and retention budget. Um, and that's a huge one because that's $800,000 that SPD had remaining for the year just to like hire new cops and to pay cops that are on the force not to leave. Like they have to pay cops to not go to other cities because even the cops are ready to, you know, basically like self uh, fire by, by, by going to other places. Um, we saw a, a couple of really interesting votes, one to cut the implicit bias training. Um, and that's huge too, because really around the country, what we've seen over and over is all of these uh, police departments saying, well, you know, the way to get rid of racism in, in your police department is to train people about their implicit bias and then they won't, you know, pull over black folks and shoot and kill them at disproportionate rates. Now, there's no proof that this actually works, that this actually changes the way that police departments function without bigger structural changes. Um, and yet, nevertheless, this keeps being funded over and over. So this is the first vote I know of in the country to say, hey, we're actually going to stop 
just giving you this implicit bias money over and over. Um, and they've imposed a proviso, which is basically asking uh, SPD to show some research that shows that this is actually changing the way that SPD officers are acting. Is that what a proviso is? What Can you break that down and explain what that means? I think Aretha is like the proviso explainer. <laughs> Damn. Um, yeah, so a proviso is one tool that council members can use during a budget cycle that basically says, I'm going to withhold this money until you do a thing. So um, a lot of what is included in the four council members package, which is Herbold, Gonzalez, Morales, and Mosqueda, is a lot of provisos on um, specific line items in the SPD budget. kind of like what Angelica was talking about is, this is the first time that folks have really taken a fine tooth comb and gone through the police budget and say, and actually questioned different things. Um, And so a tool that has been utilized in this budget cycle is provisoing a vast majority of those line items to say, um, to essentially ensure that the executive, because of what Angelica talked about, right, the separations of power, that the executive start a process to basically either negotiate or start off a layoff process for those functions. Um, and it's saying, we're going to withhold this money until you do that thing. And until that thing is resolved, we're not going to release the money. That's- and those provisos are also put on things like firing 32 full-time sworn officers. So just like patrol officers. Um, uh, realizing savings, they expect at least 30 officers to just like take off and they don't want SPD to be rehiring for those petition, p- positions. So that's 30 more officers, cutting two officers from the Harbor Patrol, cutting two officers from the 29 person SWAT team. And so, you know, they're basically adding up these different officers that I think add up totally uh, in total to 100 um, and are saying, we want you to lay off 100 officers. Here's the places in SPD where we want you to lay them off. Um, and we're going to hold back your budget until we see you start doing that. Um, the tricky part comes in, in in that the proviso could be lifted if, you know, city council, if, if the pressure doesn't stay on them, could lift that proviso at any moment and be like, just kidding, here's your salaries back, um, SPD. Uh, and so this basically gives them kind of a, a backdoor way out and means that movement has to keep the pressure on so that the proviso isn't lifted. Um, the thought of uh, going through the SPD budget with a fine tooth comb, as Aretha explains it, cracks me up. I mean, I'm sure there's like a lot of shit in there that the police department was like, yeah, we can get away with it's it. Absolute hell. So there's so much. Well, but it's also wild because they've never done this before. Like they literally right. never had to do this before. And like a couple of my favorite provisos, if that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> That's my question exactly, actually. I know. I want to know what you found. That's a new segment is favorite proviso of the budget. Favorite provisos. Oh, God. What is my life? Um, No, a couple of very interesting provisos, I'll say, is a couple of provisos that actually don't have any um, cuts attached to them, but are basically about continuing to go through the budget with a five-tooth comb. So one of them is this fiscal reporting proviso that, again, passed unanimously that says that for the rest of the year, if SPD wants her budget, they're going to have to give an accounting of how they've spent their money every two weeks. So we're going to have a real-time picture of how SPD is spending their money every two weeks, as opposed wow. to every other year where like halfway through the year, they'd be like, Hey, we ran out of overtime. Can you approve it? And council would be like, sure. And would just like backfill their coffers to, hmm. to an extreme extent. And so in past years, they've had a pass to just basically go over their budgets and get that backfilled with no opposition this time they're not only saying, hey, we're not paying you any more overtime, but every two weeks we want to see the receipts of how you're spending money. And that will give us on the ground kind of a sense of how that money is spent and where further cuts can come, can come from. So that's like what a- I'm very fond of, yeah. And what's wild is like part of the thinking behind that specific proviso was that, you know, during like, I think it was um, the span between like the end of May and the beginning of June for 12 days, SPD spent six million dollars on policing the protests on overtime. Six million dollars on overtime just simply overtime wild think of all the things we could have done with just simply six million dollars that's sick yeah i have two questions angelica if you can answer them so because you're saying that uh the city council members can at will uh revoke that proviso 
Wait, did I say it right? Anyway. Um, yeah. I like that. Proviso. Proviso. <laughs> Provis Andrew, Lewis, Andrew Lewis pronounces it proviso. Oh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> oh, proviso from the weasel. Favorite way to pronounce proviso. That's the next question. I'm kidding. Uh, no, no, no. But uh, is there a way for us to, like, can they do that behind closed doors or does it have to be in a public setting? It would be um, and and is there like a way like what triggers it or is it just something that happens do they have to discuss it and my other question is you're saying that spd has never had their budget looked at this closely is that true even for uh the 2008 recession that's these are all very excellent questions so I'll yeah start with i don't the know first one. um in terms of the the, the proviso proviso um Yes, it's a public vote that they have to take to lift it. Um, and I think, you know, we're not turning our eyes away from this <laughs> in any way, shape or form from now until SPD is deeply, deeply defunded. And so I don't think they would be able to get away with this, um, with, with trying to have a vote without us knowing about it. Um, in terms of what triggers it, I think that they are expecting to basically as soon as this is passed, start the fight with SPOG, with the Seattle Police Officers Guild, the, the, the cop union. To, to negotiate these layoffs that they've tried to trigger. Um, the, the, their attorneys, the city attorneys read of the labor law is that they have to give these cops like between two and four months of notice before they can lay them off. And so they, you know, kind of settled on like November 1st as a date that they think that like the first layoffs could begin just kind of being conservative like August you know, all of August, all of September, all of October. So they said probably about three months, that's the legal advice we're getting, that these cops will have to be laid off. If by November 1st, the layoffs haven't begun because the negotiations for how the layoffs should happen haven't concluded, then council members probably will want to lift the proviso then so that the police can get paid for the end of the year, um, through the end of the year. I don't know, at that point, movement could pressure to say, hey, don't lift the proviso, just keep the fight going. Um, you know, it, it, we're just going to have to sort of wait and see. And between now and November 1st, it's going to be a lot of eyes on council and on the mayor to be negotiating with SPOG and holding the line. Because um, one of the problems is that it's traditionally the executive branch who does the negotiations with SPOG. And clearly trusting uh, Mayor Durkin to negotiate SPOG layoffs doesn't seem to be our best bet. <laughs> but there are five members of the council who get to set the priorities for those negotiations with SPOG. Um, because they're part of a, a special board that where, where the legislative branch gets to say, here are the parameters for those negotiations. You cannot go above or below this. Like you can't offer more than this or less than this. Mm -hmm. In the past, that hasn't been the strongest board of council members. And in fact, they were pretty weak in the last spot contract, which is how we ended up with such a terrible contract. They just sort of set the parameters and then the mayor went over them and there was no consequences. But it's clear to me that this council is ready to fight the mayor and the mayor's ready to fight back. And so it's, it's, setting, uh, it's setting up for an interesting fight, even just like on the SPOG question. But of course, yeah. they do have that back door where if those negotiations aren't concluded by November 1st, they might lift the proviso. It doesn't mean that they're going to give up the legal fight. It just means that they're going to yeah. want cops to be paid while that legal fight is concluded. Yeah. And if I could add to that, um, I don't know if we're getting too deep into the weeds. So feel, so free, feel, weeds. Free to, yeah. feel free to pull us out the hole because... This is all we do every day, every second of the day, all the time. Um, but part of the thinking, from what I understand around the decision to, to go down the path of provisos is, you know, let's say worst case scenario that no November comes and bargaining didn't come out in our favor. Council members were saying that it's better to have to pay that money back with SPD existing money than to have to go looking in the budget for other pots of money and maybe having to pull from places that we don't wanna pull from, services that we care about to have to make up the money. Um, so that was some of like the thinking that went behind that. Um, but Angelica is right on the, on the dot, like movement needs to keep pressure and we need to make sure that council members are staying in the fight uh, because that, that's what matters. Um, because I don't think Spock has ever been challenged in the way that is about to happen. I have a weedy question, but I don't want to go too far into it. Weed it, weed it up. This is <laughs> so, when does the SPOG contract actually re like? When does that get renegotiated? 
talk about. Yeah. So, okay. so it's so freaking tricky. So the, the, spot, the current spot contract expires at the end of this year, right? And traditionally, those negotiations will already have started mm. uh, to renegotiate that contract. Um, Mayor Durkin has basically used the excuse of COVID to not start those contracts, which is a little bit, the negotiations, which is confusing because clearly here we are all are on Zoom, you know, meetings can happen, it turns out, uh, yeah. even when you are socially distanced. Um, but, uh, you know, so at some point in the near-ish future, that same board of five council members are also going to be meeting to start setting up the parameters for what the, 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 you know, sort of the baseline for the negotiations for the new contract should be. Traditionally, the mayor would first come up with those parameters and send them to the, that five member board of the council and be like, what do y'all think? But clearly this council and the mayor are not working so well together <laughs> um, for, for good reasons. And so it, it, it's, un, I think that process will be unlike anything we've seen before. But again, it's gonna be, it's gonna be based on how much scrutiny and how much pressure is coming from community for mm -hmm. those council members to set like the strictest possible parameters so that the executive doesn't actually have that much wiggle room to give concessions to SPOG in the next contract. Mm -hmm. um, the SPOG contract, if it isn't finalized by the end of this year, which I don't really see happening, um, just basically stays in force until the new one comes into play. But this is kind of, this is a really important part of our fight because many of the things that we wanna do and see happen uh, in terms of defunding might uh, and probably are currently limited by the SPA contract as it is written. And so we need to write uh, basically defunding into the next SPA contract to allow mm -hmm. for the kinds of cuts that we want to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the tension between the council, specifically the more like front-facing council members right now would say like Lorena Gonzalez, Teresa Mosqueda, the animosity between them and Jenny Durkin has been pretty favorable for the movement, I would say. Um, Jenny comes out swinging at a press conference, council claps back on a selfie video on Twitter. You know, I just saw one from Gonzalez today. And it's, it's crazy because I feel like up until this point, we've heard the heavy hand of Jenny Durkin operate through fear, right? Instilling fear in everyone who opposes her. There's been articles written about her abusing her staff members, right? Rumors and stories of council members getting called into her office, getting screamed at. And now it's kind of like, wait a minute, Jenny, like we saw this in previous mayoral, mayoral uh, stints in the past. I mean, McGinn famously didn't really agree with his council members at the time. And it was, a, it was really hard for that, those elected officials to get anything done. But in this instance, Durkin's, uh, I would say, bullying tactics with council up until this point is really blowing back in her face. Can we take a step back to and talk about um, the the budget inquest, like all the way back a little bit to like how, at least from the inside process we got here today um, and move through that kind of quickly if people want to give updates. Because while Dea was talking, I was reminded that like I didn't actually bring up that really important press conference that we had with the four council members, Mosqueda, mm -hmm. Gonzalez, Morales, and Herbal. No, Shama. Shama. So on, yeah. Herbal was Shama. pissed she wasn't there. <laughs> um, but that was close Chrissy that was close I know no Jackie also brilliantly facilitated that yes dream Jackie. MC Jackie. dream MC yeah and um there was a lot of uh politicking and apologizing <laughs> oh it was, a f it was also a fucking headache to plan <laughs> there was a lot of apologizing and I think that's been one of my favorite selfishly like parts of this is really having people reckon with past votes that they've taken and past beliefs that they've held. Mm -hmm. um, that that reckoning in itself, I think, has been really rewarding mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. But that yeah. was a big turning point for us because we did get the veto-proof majority that day. And it made national news. And it also like really amped up the process, I think, of defunding. So sorry to cut you off, Angelica. Did you want to explain kind of what happened inside since then? Well, I can talk about the, the, the day before that is when we had our first um, presentation before council and, and Jackie and I and then someone from Participatory Budgeting Project were able to like present our four point plan. Um, and Jackie, I don't know if you want to remind folks of what that four point plan was, is, will be, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the four-point plan, I feel like I love this approach so much because we're really trying to look at all of the different angles around how we're going to do this um, successfully and center our communities. And so the four points that we have are, one, investing in a community-based research process that will create a blueprint um, for real safety um, beyond policing and beyond the jails and beyond the courts. No one has ever come to our communities and asked us what it is that, that we need for true community safety. And this um, community research process not only would do that, but also put dollars in the hands of our community members um, who have been disproportionately impacted by um, policing and racism and um, state-sanctioned state violence. The second part of that um, four-point plan is civilianizing our 911 um, system and the 911 response. There's no need at all for police to be answering calls that really should be answered by community members, um, mental health experts, um, mediators, uh, folks who are embedded in their communities, folks who have a harm reductionist lens, not folks who are coming to the doors with guns. And so civilianizing 911 is huge to moving us from a system that depends on violence um, for, um, you know, situations of distress. The third point of the uh, four-point plan is scaling up our community-based solutions to create that real public safety and health. And so we know as we transition away from comps that that also means a scale-up of the organizations who are doing that harm reduction work, who are doing that violence prevention, transformative justice and healing work. And so scaling up those organizations because they've never had access to the type of funding and dollars that SPD has had, the ridiculous amounts of money that SPD has had. And then lastly, um, scaling up our housing. We know that we can cut down on so much of the issues that we have by just being able to provide housing and basic necessities to folks who are constantly getting the police called on them for survival issues. And so it takes all four of these things for us to transition from this world where we relied heavily on tools of state sanctioned violence and actually move to community-based safety um, and care. Yeah, and, and I would just add that that first point, the like community-based research process to create that blueprint, it, you know, is so key for us because, you know, again, as Jackie's saying, no one's ever asked our communities, like, what would you actually what would actually generate safety for you in the absence of cops. And it's also, I think, from the beginning, we're like, well, what's your plan? What's your plan? Um, you know, you want to defund SPD shows exactly what that new world will look like. And that has felt like a very unfair question. And also just, I think we're not just trying to defund SPD. We're also trying to interrupt the process of how the city has made decisions about how to keep people safe and well. And part of that interruption is saying, hey, you actually need to pay community members to have these conversations with each other, particularly the Black, Indigenous, and POC community members who have been most over-policed, to generate ideas for you all then, city council and the mayor and the executive branch, to implement uh, true safety for us. And so that sort of slowing down and interrupting the really like uh, in many ways, like white supremacist demand of like, give us your plan. And if not, we're, you know, you're useless to us. You know, it's something that's familiar to us, even from like the no youth jail fight where people were constantly saying, well, what do you mean? How could we ever let all you three show me the plan that will mean that like no youth will ever harm anyone? Uh, you know, that, that's just unreasonable. Um, and so I, you know, I really like this approach of, of basically saying, well, let us slow down and you can pay us <laughs> to talk to each other and figure out what it is that we need. Um, and then we'll make those demands um, of you all to make those investments real. How do we make sure that the mayor doesn't use that? Because she, she has also said kind of like slow down, reimagine, and and it's, she. I mean, she's playing a PR war, right? It's saying like, oh, let's do this the right way and we could be the leaders of blah, 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 blah. How do we make sure that she doesn't take over that conversation and that, yeah yeah that that's a great question i mean i think there's a couple things there one is she assumes that like continuing to have police we need to continue to have police in place at the rate that we have them to guarantee safety as we move into the new world i think we just have like a basically different assumption that actually fewer police 
even in the absence of like any new plan is already going to be safer for us you know like fewer people responding violently after the fact usually to when harm has happened uh, who are not equipped to respond correctly is doesn't actually help us and so we need to be already shrinking the police department you know just in the, in the last um uh five years we've seen spd spending a hundred dollars more per person than they did five years ago you know already you know this, this like just like this bloated machine has to start being cut back and we have to build on like the the impetus of this moment to do that um and i think separately also it's her her idea of like engagement is like she and chief best coming up with a plan and then holding a meeting with community members to be like here's our plan do you like it uh yeah uh you know we literally heard that they were planning to like talk to community members uh and ask them like here are the 40 things spd does do you want more of that less of that you know we're like no no, no that's not you know the question to us isn't like what flavor of spd do you like it's like would having universal child care support you so that we would have less cps calls in the city what would it mean to have access for every person in this city to like a mental health therapist and and uh insurance to make that happen so that we'd see less of these calls what would it mean for everybody to be housed those are not the questions that she's asking and so i think for us it's been like the insisting that the plan is community designed and controlled and not something that the city uh, engages in and like engages us in and then ignores the results anyway, which is the kind of classic uh, research process that, that city agencies have unfortunately engaged in with, with our communities. Do you think there is a difference going back to what you're saying about uh, the city spends a hundred more dollars per cop than they did five years ago? When you're cutting a budget that's overinflated like that versus like defunding a budget because you're working towards abolition you know the, was 50 percent something that before kind of digging into the budget budget we were kind of thinking like oh yeah like that's pretty radical i don't know if we can get there because 50 percent's a lot and did it become more realistic because of the inflated budget and did it maybe did it even a part of you kind of think like maybe we should be cutting more or this is justified. To me, what's exciting about everything that's happening, including like every vote that was taken today is that it does pass the like smell test of like, is this an abolitionist reform or is this a reformist reform? You know, right. like going back to just like the original teachings of like critical resistance and other like longtime abolitionists who are, have constantly just been trying to train us all to think in this way of like, does this reform add more money to policing or does it take money away? Does this reinforce the idea that policing creates public safety or does it not reinforce that? So like, you know, in the past we've been told like body cams are the solution. Like, what does that do? That just like literally gives cops more money. <laughs> you know, like when, when uh, uh, another group asked for, uh, you know, the original demands before our demands came out, for SPD to turn on their body cams during protests and and Durkin said yeah yeah we'll do that right away and like gave in to that quote-unquote demand what she was really doing was giving SPD a raise because it's in the spa contract that if they turn on their cams they get like a two or three percent raise so like we know that like that kind of reform is actually not an abolitionist one because it's just adding to police budget so to me the 50 percent demand was about hey this is our initial demand we know you could at least cut half of SPD no problem right now and we want to see you do that this year next year or the following year until spd disappears um and so for me it was that it was the idea that like we know we could at least get by like no problem with like spd half the size they are and that to me is an abolitionist demand because it is about shrinking the size of the current harmful uh, infrastructure one of the things that i'd also add is i think um along the lines of like abolitionist thought is yes like we are working to hopefully shrink SPD to the point where it doesn't exist anymore. But what that also means is like the concurrent scaling up of the community-based organizations to actually be able to do the work on a scale that they are destined to be at, right? Because we have so many organizations and Jackie has said this, Angelica has said this in multiple forums, but we have so many organizations that we all know and love that do great work um, and so what would it look like for them to be invested into the magnitude to actually be able to serve the city and not just pockets of the city, um, just geographically. Uh, so it, it's been really wonderful and like kind of, in, it's been warming my little tender Grinch heart um, to actually see meaningful steps being taken to address that because the city, as you said, Angelica, is 
notorious for just giving like token pots of money like here and there um, whenever something bubbles up. But what I think the power of this iteration of the movement is that this demand is not going anywhere. Like this investment in the community-based organizations is not going to have to be a fundamental pillar of the city's budget. Um, that's part of like hopefully what the participatory budgeting process gets at. Um, and so like, you know, Jackie and Helica, feel free to chime in, but that's been one of my favorite parts of all of this is really being able to show people how when you're tearing something down, like the building up is, is actually practical in, it, in its own sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that the, um, the community-based organizations, as you say, have had to like fight for each other for these tiny pots of money. And what we're also trying to do is just like create this new paradigm where it's not just like a one-for-one -one replacement of like one cop for one like community-based social worker, but like, why do we need cops to begin with? Most of the things that are considered criminal actually just have to do with, you know, people trying to survive a harmful world. And yes, we all harm each other at different times, but whether or not that should be criminalized and have a police response is not something that's necessary. And so like, let's build up the community-based organizations that allow us to deal with harm when it does happen. And then let's also deal with the real reason that policing often exists, which is to police poor people by like giving people the housing they need, giving people the support they need to like live happy and, and healthy lives where policing becomes irrelevant. Something that's been brought up a lot is how the movement is in defense of Black lives and the material gains need to go directly to the Black community. Um, there's just been so many examples in the past of how movements for Black lives have been co-opted and the gains have not actually been seen materially go directly to the Black community. So um, I know a participatory budgeting process has been at the center of this uh, four-point plan and making sure that that centers members of the Black community. So Jackie, do you want to explain the participatory budgeting process to us? Yeah, so what we just went through right now was the 2020 rebalancing budget. And so with that, of course, you know, we're making the investments to, for the four-point plan. And now what we're going to be moving into in September is the actual um, 2021 budget. And with that is going to come the participatory budget process. And so essentially what that means is that next year as we go after SPD's budget once again, that the money from that is going to be a much bigger pot than what we were able to work with for the 2020 rebalance. And so with that bigger pot of money, we actually wanted to put it through the participatory budget process, which is um, a five-step process that's been tried and true um, around the country and also around the world. It started in Brazil on how you can get dollars into communities' hands and have community decide where those dollars go. And so essentially what will happen is that in September when we go through the next um, budget cycle, um, we're going to, of course, be advocating for the participatory budget process, which would start in 2021. And so once again, pressure needs to remain on city council because those dollars, um, we need them to make, we need to make sure that that actually happens in this next budget cycle and that those dollars once again come from the SPD budget. And then in 2021, what that would allow us to do is to once again do almost another research process with community where community learns what participatory budget budgeting is. Um, community um, is supported on creating proposals on what community care looks like. And so not only just the violence prevention and um, mental health support and the other things that would be associated with community care and community safety, but if we have all of, or 50% or more of Seattle Police Department's budget, we would have even more dollars to work with, which means investments into even more things. So that even deeper preventative getting down to um, the root causes of what people need to survive and be healthy and investing in those things. And all while we do that, investing in our communities and supporting them and compensating them so that they can participate in the process. Cause I feel like that is one of the ways, especially for the black community that we can get left behind is that you put something out there but then you don't actually compensate people and make it accessible for them to participate. You just throw it out there and expect anybody who's able to participate to participate. And then once again, we see the same um, issues happen around access and equity. And so 
with the participatory budgeting process, how can we support especially our black communities um, around building up their organizations to be able to teach their communities um, what the participatory budgeting process is and engaging in it. And so for me, I'm very much excited about that because I know there's a host of wonderful organizations that are doing so much work that we can really be able to um, activate and center in a participatory budget process and go after even more of SPD's um, budget. I wanted to ask a crazy question, but I don't want to distract us. But it's been on my mind and it's about like the opposition from SPD and kind of like their PR potential or at least their campaign. You know, all the fear mongering that's really obvious that they're doing like, hey, who are you going to call? You know, when shit hits the fan at your house, who are you going to call? Bad boys. Exactly. And like, how much do you think after we get the 50% because we will, we have five days when we get those cuts made. Like, is SPD just going to go on a full on, like, we're not going to do our jobs anymore. Good luck. Like, you know what I mean? Like, for the next however amount, like, again, it's it's really hard for me to ask this question because I, th I think most of the things that SPD, SPD does is useless and dumb, if not all, because we don't just have, like, the, the other solutions yet. And, you know, as an abolitionist, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, like... They're already trying really hard to send this message of like, your life is about to fucking suck and be very dangerous when we're gone. And when we do defund, you know, kind of what, going back to what Myra's question is a little bit, like what, <laughs> how do, are we, is there like a plan? Is there a necessary strategic plan to counter this like kind of sabotaging everything? Yeah, fear mongering now going to be by their actions after the cuts are made. You know what I mean? That's a good question. I mean, I think part of it is to me when I think about that, I think about just going back to like the mutual aid networks that we've been building because the state has never had our back. And like during, especially right now during this global pandemic, it's been clear that like the way people are getting groceries, the way people are getting housed, the way people are like taking care of each other is through mutual aid networks. And so to me, it's a question on the organizing side of like doing that really nitty gritty work of expanding mutual aid to, to being like, what does it look like if somebody is experiencing harm in my neighborhood? What does it look like if there's a break in at my local, uh, you know, restaurant or, or convenience store or whatever it is? Like, how is it that we can start having those conversations about how we take care of each other? Because we know right now, like, you know, if there's a break in in a business, like SPD isn't gonna come and interrupt that. They usually just show up after the fact. And like the best way to interrupt that would be to like organize block by block, organize like all the businesses where I live, you know, to, to be on call for each other um, and, and think about structurally what it would take to have things look different. You know, I know that SPD has been reaching out to folks like Seafair and, you know, the Seahawks and the film industry because I've now met with those folks to be like, hey, uh, what's up? We would like to work with you. And they say, well, SPD has already told us that we aren't going to be able to have film um, happen in the city if we can't contract with them or we're not gonna be able to have seafare if we can't have cops there, you know? And, and we've been like, hey, have you noticed that we've had these massive marches of like 10,000 people with like bike brigades and no cops and that's able, like, can you imagine, wouldn't it be so much better if like seafare was staffed by, well, first no blue angels, but apart from that, yes, if, if we could have, uh, you know, we could have like massive city events where like the folks who are trying to help keep people safe are each other, are like volunteer bike brigades, not cops. Um, and so I think it's that it's starting to have the conversation with the folks who we don't usually see as like our base with like, hey, what would it take? Like, what are you being told right now? How much are you actually paying SPD for these permits? What, what, do you, what is the price that you're paying for SPD's protection? And what could we do to keep each other safe? And that's from like, literally like me talking to my neighbors to, you know, talking to people in my family to, you know, being in touch with the businesses in my, in my community. Like in my dream, we'd be able to organize businesses to basically be like cop-free zones uh, where they basically signed on to, to watch out for each other and we'd sign on to watch out for them. Because honestly, like that's where this is headed. You know, already there's like massive government abandonment of, of communities. And I think with the deepening recession, that's gonna continue to be the case. And that's been like, for me, a lot of what's driving my interest in this is like knowing that like hard times are here, worse times are coming. And I'd rather we be walking around in a city full of people who have such skills to deal with like harm and conflict 
that we don't require these like armed, you know, racist cops um, because we've got each other's backs. You know, in the Chinatown International District, um, which was redlined all the way up through the CD in Madrona, like the whole area, the cops never responded to anything um, during redlining. And the Black Panthers would work with the community and the API shop owners to like keep each other safe. So I wanna share a quote from um, Ron Lee, whose parents owned um, Lloyd and Maidley, owned Joe's Food Center, a grocery store in Madrona, and they owned it from the 50s to the 90s um, at the height of the practice of redlining. And it was like a community hub. Um, they provided things that you couldn't get anywhere else, like lard rendered from pork scraps, crunchy rendered pork bits, and Chinese sweets. And they would never turn anyone away. They would give people store credit when they didn't have money to pay and they knew their neighbors and everyone protected one another. So this is a quote from Ron. He said, we had the protection of the Black Panthers. Whenever we were robbed, the police couldn't find the robbers, but the Black Panthers did. And we hid the Black Panthers in the back of the store when the police were looking for them. When the coast was clear, we let them out through the alley to their headquarters. <laughs> and I just think like it's important to like moving forward to not lose sight of where we've come from as communities of color who've always had to organize night walks and block watches to keep ourselves safe because the cops never did that for us. And that a lot of this is just not reinventing the wheel. You know, it's a lot of building up historical knowledge that our communities have. There was definitely life before cops and there will be life after cops. That's for sure. Looking forward to it. And you know, like one thing that I've noticed in the past few months is people are really truly starting to look for that knowledge that was lost, mm -hmm. you know, both locally and nationally, right? Like thinking, wow, why isn't this taught in schools? And, and I'm really seeing like the, both the curiosity, but also the like, maybe some, like some deep shame and embarrassment of, oh my God, this is what our country is not teaching us, right? So, and, and like seeing like the marches with King, King County Equity Now, right? They're really teaching history block by block, right? So I really see this turning into like a civic reawakening, right? Where we go back to our roots and rekindle the imagination. So what comes next? Monday is when the council votes on the full budget, correct? I think Not there's correct. some amendments left to vote on still because the, the fund continues. Um, okay. So my, my sense is that the votes are gonna continue Monday and all the way up to Wednesday. Um, and even the votes that we have now are like preliminary votes in some way, like council could decide to change their minds or they could decide to have last minute deeper votes and deeper cuts with other amendments. And so I think people just need to know that like this is not a done deal mm -hmm. um, and that we need to keep the pressure on up until the entire budget is voted on on Wednesday yeah. and beyond because who knows what happens after that. I mean, we're all, you know, sort of waiting to see, but this is like the beginning of the fight. But right now, this stage of the fight, it's about keeping the pressure on to make those cuts as deep as possible. Like there was stuff today that happened that surprised me, like <laughs> council voting to um, cap the salaries of the 14, like manage highest paid managers in SPD. So like- How much money did they lose? So we're not sure yet the money, the number has been tallied but between half a million and a million dollars. Yeah. Meaning that like uh, chief best salary, which right now is around 300K would go down to 170. Oh my God, she's right, like, coming, you know? So that's a lot of money. That's a lot. And like the fact that 14 people's salaries just for the rest of the year could add up to like up to a million bucks is like- That's wild. It's wild, just for the last months of the year, right? And so that's the kind of thing I'm saying oh that like, we don't know God. what it's still possible if, if the pressure stays on. And so- Imagine being someone who literally lost 45% of their salary through a fucking random ass proviso thing that's so great i don't know once you shouldn't have been a cop with another hundred thousand more that's know. so true that's so much fucking money oh my I god i mean it's a lot of money but 300k is very different from 175. i don't know <laughs> we can't even yeah we can't comprehend Sure. I'm just, I'm just trying to recognize the victory. It was, it was a good definitely victory. a good thing that happened. So maybe this is a dumb question, but basically like whatever cuts are made for this 
2020 rebalance budget are going to go into funding for the summer research and participatory budgeting now and then we have to cut again in the 2021 budget okay that's, that's right um, okay. yeah, some of that money will go straight into the the the, the, the research and the scaling of cbos got it but because council is not expecting to actually be able to recoup that much money immediately they're mm -hmm. pulling some money basically borrowing from themselves from like a construction fund uh to, to 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 fund some of this these immediate investments with a plan that this is like a down payment on the 2021 cuts because they're going to repay that loan from exactly the cuts that are coming do you exactly. have a feasible like or do you have any way of forecasting when that 911 process will become civilianized like are you do you have a target month so they're actually going to vote on that again. Like, so that was one of the amendments that was pulled today um, and said, you know, we, have, we need more um, discussion on this. And again, this gets into the weeds, but it's because the city's considering creating a new department of like community safety and, and violence prevention to house stuff that used to sit in SPD. Um, but that's going to take a while to, to make. Meanwhile, they want to move 911 out of SPD, but they'd have to move it somewhere. And so if they moved it out of SPD and into this department called FAS, that could be one move. But then within a year, they might have to move it again from FAS to this newly created department. So they're, they're still trying to figure out what the best way to do that is. Um, obviously, we're all for transferring anything out of SPD because that also means shrinking SPD's budget. Mm -hmm. But I think that, that isn't quite figured out. You know, for me, that is a priority to get them out of SPD control because I think if we want to start seeing civilian responses, we need to have uh, dispatchers who are not under SPD's, uh, you know, under that line of um, uh, authority. Are, are conservative departments like FAS, who was for a long time overseeing the homeless encampment sweeps being like we support the police fuck you activists and then suddenly being like oh wait we're about to double our budget this is good all right i'm gonna stay silent what does fah stand for finance Financial and administrative finance. Services. services it's kind of like a place where everything goes but they don't know where else to put it it's the junk drawer of the city just has everything. Yeah, but, but it they sounds also, racist. Yeah, but it, it also... <laughs> I don't know how, but this is racist. FAS holds a lot of power, though, and decision-making power on where money goes to different resources in the city. It's a, yeah, it's a very strange conglomerate of things. Like, yeah. It's just a very strange place. Um, so today, you all started... The Department of Mysteries. Sorry, sorry to cut oh, you off. I had to. We need to like rename all of the departments to be something in Harry Potter. I know. Yeah, but we're yeah, taking a break from Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling's on time yeah, out. Canceled. Cancel her. Yeah. J.K. Rowling is canceled, but Harry Potter wrote itself. So. Oh, you stole that from a Gen Zer. I did. Leave Harry Potter alone. <laughs> um, my question was: So you all started looking through each line item today. The budget's obviously very long the police budget. How many days is this happening for? Today was day one out of how many days and it like ends on the final vote on Monday. I just want to make sure we clarify that. Next Wednesday, I think is the final vote. On so it's not the 10th. It, well, it was going to be the 10th, but they've moved it forward now to the 12th. God damn it. I got to Listen, this is hard, y'all. No, I get it. I get it. I'm more mad at Twitter for not having an edit button, but whatever. Well, Anyway, mm -hmm. so it's moved to next Wednesday, and the next day that cuts are made to budget is Monday. Like Monday. Monday. The hope is basically is when we're gonna vote on the consent package. So basically, if any bill has a certain number of council members on it, I think the number is like six or seven. Um, it just automatically gets put into the consent package because it has consensus. So the hope is to vote out the consensus package on Monday and then vote on some of the spending stuff. So for some of our community investments, introduce them on Monday, vote on them on Wednesday. And you know, one of the reasons we're having a special meeting on next Wednesday is because last Friday in the cover of night, Jenny Durkin uh, vetoed the COVID relief bill for Jumpstart Seattle. Um, yeah, if you didn't think Jenny Durkin didn't like poor people, um, there's your receipt for this week. 
Just this week's receipt, y'all. Remind us her reasoning. Like, I know, obviously, we know the real reason is because she's saying, fuck you. But, like, what was her justification in saying no to this as a Democratic mayor? Um, uh, Something about draining down the reserves. Yeah, draining the swamp. Yeah, she's like, you think it's bad now, but they're going to get worse. So we got to save the money. It's literally an emergency right. goal. Like it's just an emergency fund. Jenny Durkin said members... drain the swamp. No, Dane, quit starting shit. Uh, 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 uh. I miss up. You. you already are her nightmare, bro. <laughs> Should, uh, uh, do we have one more agenda or are we playing our fun fun game? I think we should play our fun fun game. Yes. Uh oh, it's almost bedtime. All right, all right. It's Angelica's turn. <laughs> yeah, no, true. No, y'all are both playing, but Angelica's going so first. Jackie's I don't even know what this game is, but I'm good. Oh, we should do hot zaddy attorneys. What you think about that? Oh God, yes. I wish everyone could see Angelica's face right now. Okay, so we play <laughs> a game called Zaddy Daddy Father. Okay, we give you three names and you rank them in order of zaddy, and then like someone like. You know, pretty good, but not quite zaddy. But still, like, damn, you still call him daddy. Will be daddy. And then we have father, who you're like, yeah, no, I'm never calling you daddy ever. Okay, as an attorney, as somebody in the legal field, is it when you look at like movies about lawyers or cases? Is it kind of like a tattoo artist? being disgusted by Ink Master and being like, I ain't watching that shit. Or like a really good chef who's like, chopped his bullshit. Like, do you hate lawyer movies? I don't hate lawyer movies. I'm annoyed by them because I feel like they make people go to law school and we don't need <laughs> more people <laughs> necessarily. What movie, what movie do you uh, hear the most from new incoming law students being like, I was inspired by the oh, great yeah. debaters. Oh, yeah. I don't know if there's like one movie. I think it's more that the idea idea that people have of like the change that lawyers can do is like lawyers as heroes and y'all know it's like it's organizers sometimes working with and assisted by lawyers and so for me it's more like about the the myth of the like you know solo lawyer um hero that that is annoying about the the you know that genre also i love all of my law students so much and i'm so glad i get to teach them i just want them to explore other options before they apply i want them to be out in the world and do the stuff y'all are doing before they come to law school yeah 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 i see i love that i love that um and on to the game okay so my first lawyer that i'm going to uh put in this category is drum roll okay thank you that was really bad um i just needed some time atticus finch oh yeah it's a good one he's an attorney Aretha. Aretha. Do Gen Z kids not read To Kill a Mockingbird anymore? No, I drink tequila mockingbirds. Oh my god. (laughs) Is that a real thing? And that was I was like, she's gonna go for the low blow. She's gonna do it. Okay, so he's the first one. The second one is I can't okay, that's anybody else having Annalise Keating, how to get away with murder. Oh yeah, yeah. Annalise. That's a good one. Have you watched How to Get Away with Murder? Did you hate okay. it? Be honest. You approve? No, it was fun. Yeah. Okay. You know, entertainment. Yeah. It's like probably like a doctor l- like love watching Grey's Anatomy. It's probably like that scene. I think a doctor would love watching Grey's Anatomy, but it's like uh, a soap opera, so it's fun. Last one. Wrote a book called Tequila Mockingbird, which is a cocktail book. So when you say that, I'm See? like, oh, I wrote that book. Yeah. See. You, you didn't know that. I did know that, Dayshake. You don't know my fucking brain. <laughs> last one, last one, Olivia Pope. Ooh. Ooh. I like oh, this. Oh, but she has such bad taste in men. Oh. She does. So does Annalise. Yeah, she really does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and after, well, yeah, I didn't read, you know, the, the, they found like the second book that Harper Lee had written and that was published. And it's like Atticus as like an older guy. And like, you know, he's, he's not as all, he's not as all that as he was in the first book. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Controversial. I'm going to go, um, Annalise Zaddy. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Wow. Over Olivia Pope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 
you remember the music they'd have every time she would be like making out with that president who yes. was like, that guy in Ghost? Mm-hmm. It just killed yes. me. It was like, what are you, uh, what are you doing? He yeah. is the worst. Oh, the worst. It's kissing a white man music. Yeah, exactly. Kissing a white man music. But she, when she's not kissing a white man, I like her. So I'm going to go with daddy for her. And then mm-hmm. Atticus, you know, I just don't know enough. To, I, I feel like he's also inspired too many people to go to law school and believe they can be the solo heroes of like people of color. So he'll be mm-hmm. the father. Because he literally is a father in that book. Yeah. Oh, Atticus was probably, ranking. he was like radical, like in the 50s, you know, a little sure. outdated. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Not a bad guy. But again, like, you know, do we need another white guy lawyer hero mm-hmm. right now, especially? I'm going to go with no. What are you binging on Netflix, Jackie? Mm, let's see. Binging on Netflix. Actually, I haven't been watching too much TV lately, but... Council hearings, that's it. <laughs> I know, I'm like, mm. you know, if, but, you don't, if you don't help me out with a genre, I'm going to yeah. name real-ass politicians in our oh, city. God. Oh, oh, my God. No, I do. We watched Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh! You're really watching it? Yeah, I was like, I need something to distract me while I write emails. Yeah, that's great. That's fucking great, like, background TV. I what say. season are you on right now? No, I finished it. Oh, shit! That's I a lot of emails. of emails. How many emails, Jackie? <laughs> Damn! Can you still see? Okay, let's do one really quick daddy, zaddy, father for Game of Thrones for Jackie. There's so many good ones. Okay, should we do the Whisper Men? What? I don't even know what that is. I was going to say like... the name? The the bald guy. Barris, Littlefinger, and... uh... Oh, Tyrion. Okay, no, no, no. Who who should we do, Chrissy? I was thinking... Barris, for sure. Yeah. We could do the Whisper Men. Let's do that. Well, who's the third one would be? Tyrion? Yeah. 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 And uh, what are my options again? Varys, Littlefinger, Tyrion? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone with little birds. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Littlefinger was my favorite character in the show, and I, and I hate how they did him so dirty. He was so important. All of them were so deep, and the writers ruined them at the end. Varys just be like... Went to Danny and was anyway. I'm venting right now, but yeah, it's just God. I kept. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. They ruined it. They ruined it. They those characters were the most interesting to me, and I was just like, what? Littlefinger died because he got exposed because Bran just decided to look in the past. What the fuck? (laughs) Wait, but I want to hear with Jackie. Yes, yes, Jackie. Sorry, I was mad. You're number one. Oh God. Um, I don't know. I guess. Oh, this has nothing to do with any of them. They're looking or they're, oh, I don't know. This is the same as last time. Okay, um, let's see. I guess I would do Littlefinger as Zaddy. Whoa! Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Baelish. 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 Oh, oh, my God. God. No, Littlefinger is creepy. Hell no, I got the Littlefinger mustache on right oh, now. Oh, get rid of it. All right, who's Daddy? <laughs> well, only because, you know, Zaddy is, like, not the permanent person, so Littlefinger, like, you know. <laughs> um, I guess <laughs> Tyrion for Daddy. Yeah. Wow. Tyrion is hella daddy. Well, I think Tyrion's daddy. I think it was because he was, like, nice to, you know, the people that were forced to marry him. Oh, Jackie. Varys is the only POC option there. He was POC? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. Moving <laughs> on. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> All right. Calls to action. I mean, really, I, I what from what I heard on this episode is that we are called to action until at least december and beyond (laughs) so how do we sustain ourselves in the movement is the next episode of activist class (laughs) i will be turning in to that one because jackie and i need some help there (laughs) we all do participate in the participatory budgeting process participate in the summer research process i hope those are not two separate things i'm losing my mind um Keep calling and emailing your council members, testifying at city council for at least the next two votes, which are Monday 
and Wednesday of next week, and I don't know the dates. Um, the 12th. The 10th and the 12th, thank you, Myra. Um, and then in the fall, you know, also staying in the streets, one of the most important ones, everyday marches, literally marching every single day. Um, so joining them and for the fall, like staying engaged, I think what comes out of, as folks have said, what comes out of the summer process is going to really inform what happens in fall um, and making sure that we get to our demand of 50%. Um, those are the ones that I can think of off of the top of my head. So start having conversations with your neighbors, with your family, mm -hmm. people you know might call the cops or do call the cops. Like what is the role that the police currently play in your life and in the life of your neighborhood and community? Mm -hmm. um, and start thinking about what it might look like to talk to others about making that footprint a little smaller um, because it's gonna be all about us also relying on each other instead of the police. Don't forget to hydrate. Hydrate. Thank you so much on and Jackie for being our excellent guests. I want to give a shout out to Abdul and Harvest House um, who are going to be providing editing to this podcast tonight because Spec is on a much deserved vacation with his family. Harvest House, if you don't know, provides opportunity to local black and brown artists and elevates their work by supporting a lot of the behind the scenes work like booking venues, doing marketing, managing artists, and recording music videos and also podcasts. Follow them on Instagram on at H-R-V-S-H-O-U-S-E and hire them because they are all so dope. So thank you, follow Activist Class on- Oh my God, did we just shit? do our first read? Yeah, our we- first ad read? We oh did my God, I fucking interrupted. I know, yeah. and I felt like I did a good job just then. No, no, you, no you killed it. Up. I didn't inter- I let you finish the ad read and we had to highlight our first ad read. That was our I very first let, one. We can just let that slide. That's our first ad read. <laughs> that was our audition. So pay us, people. Pay us. Yo, we, we do this shit for free. Which um, is why it happens so irregularly, motherfuckers. All right. And <laughs> so, yeah, activist class is on all of the different platforms. Please like, share, and leave comments. And tune in next time.